We are going to talk about the first Pentecost and what happened then and what happens now with us. Let's start off with John 20, 19, a little bit before Pentecost. John 20, I'm going to read uh, verses 19 through 23. And if anybody needs a Bible, I think there are some somewhere. Usually, oh, there's a couple here behind my dad. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So Jesus is already raised from the dead. Disciples are, disciples are still hiding behind locked doors because they're afraid. Okay? Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. It was very important to Jesus that they had his peace, which clearly they did not. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Like that. Okay? It's a very charismatic-y, Pentecostal-y thing to do, right? After he had said that, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so Jesus breathed on them, said to receive the Holy Spirit. Why do you do that? Why the breathing on thing? Anybody have an idea? Yes. Yes. Yep, and that's not a coincidence, Anne, in fact. That is the exact right answer. So when God created Adam and Eve, he formed them out of the dust of the earth. They were, you know, he made them like he made animals, but then he breathed his own spirit into them. And in Hebrew, the word breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word, okay? Same word, same concept. Breath, wind, spirit, all the same thing. And so when God breathed into Adam, part of God's self went into Adam, which is why we're made in the image of God. Okay, that's part of what that means. And so when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, it was like a greater impartation now of God for us. So he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed his breath, the literal breath of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, literally breathed it into them. Okay? I know that seems real showy, but Jesus is occasionally that way. Um, So did it work? Do you think? Do you think they received the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I would assume so, right? And so that means, and this is why it's important, that means that believers had the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. Okay? So the Holy Spirit came to live inside them. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. They breathe the Spirit in, so to speak, or literally. Um, and now they have the Spirit of God living inside them. The reason this is important is it's before Pentecost, before the promise of the Father or the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit coming upon them, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, whatever you want to call that thing that happens on Pentecost, this happened before that. And so believers have the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God living inside them, regardless of whether or not they've experienced that second baptism. Does that make sense? It's really, really important distinction because there's been a lot of heresy over the years saying that if you don't clearly demonstrate being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you must not be saved. You must not have the Holy Spirit if I can't see the Holy Spirit doing something through you. And that's not true, okay? The Spirit of God comes to live inside every believer as soon as we're saved. We are placed in Christ on the cross, and the Spirit of God is placed in us. That happens at the moment of our adoption into the family of God. And so everyone who is a Christian has the Spirit of God living inside them, the indwelling Spirit, sometimes it's called. Are you with me so far? And the indwelling Spirit is a little bit different than the whole baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Spirit thing. It's the same Spirit, but it's like a different job. And that's why it gets a little confusing, which is why I want to kind of hit this first point hard. The Holy Spirit is inside everybody who is a Christian. And sometimes you hear people who call themselves spirit-filled, and they'll be talking to someone who isn't, and they'll say, well, are you saying I don't have the Holy Spirit? You're spirit-filled, you're saying I don't have the Holy Spirit? Um, And the answer is no. Nobody's saying that. 
Everyone who's a Christian has this presence of God living inside them, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, the Pentecost thing is something we're going to talk about in a second. And so it, it is important for those of us who are spirit-filled and want to help other people maybe experience that, who haven't experienced it, or maybe haven't even never heard about it before, it's important to know that some people might be a little bit offended <laughs> at terms like spirit-filled or whatever. And so let's always act in love, right, when we're talking to other people and let them know, hey, this, this is a great, a great thing that God wants you to have. And you can show them the scriptures I'm going to show you in a second. Um, but be aware that there are some people who kind of get offended by this concept. Um, and there are other people who, Christians, who think if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And that's silly is the word I'm going to use. Heresy is the correct word, but silly is the word I'm going to use for this morning. Okay. Flip two pages forward. Well, depending on your Bible. Uh, to Acts 1. Acts 1. Okay. So Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside believers now. And now we're at Acts chapter 1, a couple pages later. Let's start with verse 3. So he's still on earth, pre-ascension. Um, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they looked on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So that's the moment Jesus ascended to the Father. So how long has Jesus been with them since the resurrection? It was back in verse 3. 40 days. So Jesus rose from the dead. He's chilling with the disciples for 40 days, eating food with them. The Bible makes it a big point of multiple times saying he ate food <laughs> with us, which was to prove he wasn't a ghost, I guess, because there was still superstition, you know, back in those days. So he's like, this is not a ghost. This is, was not an apparition. We weren't making this up. The dude ate food, and he, like, swallowed it, and it disappeared, like, into him. So, like, he's real. He's God, <laughs> but he's real. He had a physical body. Um... And so he was with them for 40 days, and what did he command them to do? Yeah, simple command. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay in the city and wait. Now, that was a tough command because, remember, they were still hiding a few days back for fear of the Jews, who had murdered Jesus, as you recall, and everybody knew these guys were with him. Okay? Now, at this point, when, he, when Jesus is talking to them, there's like 500 of them there. This is more than just the disciples. This is like the whole church. Okay? Lots of folks. And Jesus is saying, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Don't run off home <laughs> and hide just yet. There's something I need to give you. There's something the Father is going to send, and I need you to keep waiting here for that. So they decide to stay and to wait and to pray. Um, and he says, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he... He is calling this new thing a baptism. It's similar to the baptism with water, right? Now, the word baptize literally means to immerse. So back in the first century, when they would baptize someone, they would baptize them by dunking them all the way under water, typically living water, i.e. moving water, like a river or a lake that has a river connected to it or something of that nature. And so um, to be baptized in water then, which is an important part of our faith, for sure. If you haven't been baptized, talk to me. We can baptize you, like, next week. Um, or today, if you want. Um, yeah, we got a creek. There's a lake right there. There's a lake at my house. With, there's plenty of ways to baptize you. Um, or we can sprinkle you if you prefer. I'm not, like, super dogmatic about that. Um, but the word baptize literally does mean to immerse. When you get baptized in water, again, in their context, you come down and you come up and you are covered in water, right? You are drenched and you are wet, like super wet, because you did it with your clothes on, like your robes, the whole deal, right? So you come up and you are totally wet. And Jesus is saying that thing is going to happen to you, but with the Holy Spirit instead of water. So it's going to be spiritual instead of physical water. And so just in the same way that we are baptized with water by being immersed in water, we come out and we're all wet. We are going to get immersed in the Holy Spirit. But we don't come out wet. We come out on fire. 
kind of the opposite, two sides of a coin if you look at it that way. John the Baptist prophesied of Jesus, here is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the Holy, baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in fire, filled with the Spirit, they're all sort of interchangeable terms, more or less, I think. Um, and so you come out of this baptism of the Holy Spirit on fire, on fire for God. Specifically, what is this for? Let's look at verse 8. It's important to distinguish between the indwelling spirit that all believers have and this whole baptism of the spirit or filling of the spirit thing. The indwelling spirit everyone has, and that's the relational part of God. That's how we relate to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. It's how we experience the presence of God. Okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is different. Look at verse 8. You will receive power. The primary purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power, supernatural power. Why? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, is primarily about supernatural power, the same power Jesus had when he did all those miracles, and he healed people, and he prophesied, and he did all the things that Jesus did. That same Holy Spirit, that same power, can come upon us, and then we can have that power in God to be his witnesses and to do his work and to do miracles and all the other supernatural stuff that we're going to see in chapter 2. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Um, notice the word upon there as opposed to within. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And that's a phrase we saw all the time in the Old Testament. I could give you a whole ton of verses, but I'm not going to. You see the Holy Spirit coming upon prophets, priests, and kings exclusively, if you count judges as kings. So prophets, priests, and kings, people who had a special anointing of God, it would say, and the Spirit came upon him, and he prophesied. The Spirit came upon him, and he defeated the army, or whatever it was. The Spirit came upon him, and he was king. Okay? So the Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament. It was quite common for those special folks, prophets, priests, and kings. And Jesus is... Occasionally there would be an exception, but it was really rare. There were a couple times when it was a craftsman who had to create uh, the articles for the temple and stuff like that. Um, But it was really rare. Now Jesus is saying that really rare thing is going to happen to all of you. Not just the cool folks. Not just the special ones. Not just the ones whose daddy was somebody important. It's going to happen to all of you. Remember, he's talking to the whole crowd now. This is the church, not the leadership team, right? You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you, and you will have power to be my witnesses, okay? And so that same thing that we saw in the Old Testament, that's going to happen now, but it's available to everybody who's a Christian. And that's the Holy Spirit coming upon you. The Holy Spirit within you, that never happened in the Old Testament. Never in the Old Testament was someone filled with the Spirit. Never did anyone have the Holy Spirit inside of them in the Old Testament. The first person in the Bible who had the Spirit in them, who was filled with the Spirit, was Jesus. And now all of us have the Spirit dwelling inside us. All of us can be filled with the Spirit. So there's there's some big differences. There's connections between the Old and New Testament and what is going on, because it is the same God, same Holy Spirit, right? But there are differences, too. There are some better things in the New Covenant. Namely, all of us can have access to the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit, but also we can have the Spirit of God living within us. And this is something Paul later, later refers to as a mystery hidden from the foundation of the world. Like, the angels didn't even know this was coming. This was nuts, absolutely nuts. The idea that literally the Spirit of God himself would live inside human vessels, human beings, each of us, and not just special ones, but normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christians like we are, right? That is nuts. The angel said, this is crazy, but we love it because it's cool. And this was what God was planning all along. This is part of the reason Jesus had to come, so that he could make a way for this to happen. Um, So that's upon versus within. Everybody with me still? This can get confusing because it's the same Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does a lot of stuff, okay? He has a lot of different jobs. All right, let's move on to Acts chapter 2. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is primarily about power so that we can do ministry. It's not just 
doing ministry. It's su- we get supernatural power from the Holy Spirit, and that does other things, too. It enhances our relationship with him. It enhances our experience of the presence of God. It enhances our own ability to hear the voice of God and things like that as well. Um, but the primary purpose of the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, is so that we can minister to others, continue the ministry of Jesus. Um, Acts 2, uh, I'll read the first four verses. Lots of Bible today, folks. When the day of Pentecost arrived, now Pentecost happened every year. This wasn't the first time, right? It was a Jewish festival that happened a certain number of days after Passover. Anybody know how many days? 50 days after Passover. And so Jesus was with them for how many days? After Passover, 40. And now it's Pentecost, so it's roughly nine, ten days later. Depends on how you count because uh, the Jews had a different way of counting back then. But somewhere between eight and a half and ten days after Jesus ascended. So he said, go wait in Jerusalem. And so they did for this amount of time. So just, just so you know, we're not talking months here. And we're not talking two hours. We're talking like they're waiting around going, okay, they still want to kill us. What's, what's, when's this whole gift thing happening? Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And we know from... Chapter 1, which we didn't read, that that place was the upper room of the temple. Okay? So the upper room of the temple, not the courts, which is where they used to hang out with Jesus. Now they're hiding in a room a little bit further away where other people aren't going to see or hear them. Okay? Now, I might be reading into this a tiny bit, but I see that as being a little bit of this pattern of fear that we have seen among the disciples of sort of hiding behind doors all along ever since Jesus left. They kind of hid away. Even when they met him, they sort of hid away. It it was like, uh, we're still a little scared. Getting murdered is scary. Let's not judge them too harshly. Let's not judge them too harshly. Getting murdered is scary. And we're not just talking murder. We're talking torture. Okay? Super uncool and unfun. Especially if you're Peter who has kids. So I don't judge them. I'm just saying I think that's what's still happening. They're still in a room by themselves. Okay? Um, and suddenly, verse 2, love the suddenlies of the Bible, especially in the New Testament. There's a lot of suddenlies. Some of us need suddenlies in our life. Julie's had a suddenly recently when, boom, all of a sudden, God comes in. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues. Tongues there, that's the word for, like, the top of a candle. The flame on top of a candle is called the tongue. That's what this means. The tongues um, of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, we've all heard this passage a ton of times, but there's a lot of firsts in here for earth. (laughs) This is the first time on earth people other than Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal, super big deal. This is the first time on earth anyone has spoken in tongues, ever. All the other charismatic gifts took place in the Old Testament. You see all of them happening in the Old Testament. Tongues is unique to the New Testament. It's a part of the New Covenant. You don't see it in the Old Covenant. This is the first time you ever see the gift of tongues. And so Jesus says, wait. The promise of the Father is coming, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you see them being filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, and you see them receiving the gift of tongues in particular, And this was a first. This was a big deal to Jesus because it was a big deal for the church. I know tongues has become sort of a divisive issue for some in the church these days. I think tongues is a wonderful, wonderful gift that we should all use way more than we do. As Paul says, I wish, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he wasn't bragging. He was a little bit bragging. Okay. (laughs) He was a little bit bragging. But he's saying, look, you should do this. I'm doing it more than you. Like, somebody challenge me in how much you can speak in tongues here. This is important. Tongues, Jesus wouldn't have said, wait in Jerusalem under threat for the promise of the Father if the promise of the Father wasn't important. Right? The last thing Jesus says before he leaves? Actually, whatever. You can do it or not. I don't care. I'll, I'll be up there constructing again, I guess, building houses for everybody. No, this was a big deal. Okay, because he was like a builder, right, Jesus? So 
This is the first time we see this gift, the first time they, sp they speak in tongues. Um, okay, so they were in the upper room. They were praying. You know, we can, you know, assume that, and it says it in, in the first chapter. They're praying together. They're praising together. But there's 120 of them instead of the 500, which is interesting. Again, we're not judging the 380. Maybe some of them just had to work because somebody's got to bring the fish for everybody else to eat, Okay. Maybe some of them got scared. Maybe some of them had sick kids. You know, we don't know. We don't want to judge them. But did this happen to them? No. It happened to the 120 who were there. And I think that's important. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Those who obeyed, those who waited, they received this promise of the Father. Now, the other 380 probably heard about it, asked for it, and received it right away. Because even Peter says to the crowd, anybody who believes in Jesus, you can have this right now. Okay? So it's not like God's withholding it. He didn't punish the 380 for not being there. But they didn't receive this. They weren't part of this experience because they weren't there. And there's a lesson there for us. Sometimes we just need to obey even if it's hard, even if we don't like it. And we just need to stick to it and we just need to be there. I don't know who that's for this morning. But <laughs> some of you maybe need to hear that. So... Um, Let's go back to verse 2 for one, for one second. There came from heaven a sound. So they heard a physical sound. Okay? They heard this. This wasn't just a vision. So it wasn't just like a supernatural thing that didn't happen on earth. It, it also happened on earth. It's like when Jesus spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. People heard that and made a sound. So this made a sound as well. A sound like, what? A violent rushing wind or a mighty rushing wind. Now, like a rushing wind. So there wasn't actually a wind, right? So wind didn't blow the windows open, knock fire onto the wall, and then everybody's caught on fire. Like, that's not what happened here. There was a sound that sounded like wind. Now, why do you think it was wind that it sounded like? We talked about it three minutes ago. Wind, breath, spirit, exactly. So it's the same continuity here. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit and it's not just a gentle breath. It's like a mighty rushing wind this time that comes in. And everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit, and they receive these little things of fire on top of their heads. Um, and it's, that one, I think, is probably not literal fire. It doesn't say. As of fire, it says. So that leads me to believe there probably wasn't, they weren't actually burning, right? But everybody saw it. So it was in the spirit, this fire. And again, that's uh, fulfilling the, the prophecy of John the Baptist, who said he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so there's always a connection there between baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire versus water baptism for repentance, which is water, this is fire. Okay, so that prophecy is fulfilled. That's a big deal. That was the final prophecy of John the Baptist to be fulfilled. He was the final prophet of the Old Testament. This is one of those moments you know when jesus goes up to heaven that's a very much an old testament new testament line and so this is like the last thing of the old testament to be fulfilled um with for jesus uh so they were all filled with the holy spirit the fire thing happens and they started to speak in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and so the spirit gives them the holy spirit gives them this gift of tongues and they start speaking in it and what's the first thing they do They leave the room. They leave. The first thing they do is they go out and they start talking to people, the same people that killed Jesus, the same people that were threatening them. They went out and they started preaching to them. You see that? Finally, the fear is gone. And from this moment on, from the moment the Holy Spirit falls, you don't see that fear in the church here anymore in the New Testament. They are bold, crazy bold. Okay? Like, they mouth off to priests that I probably wouldn't do. And, like, they're, they're bold. The first thing they do is they stop hiding in the room and they go out on the street and they start preaching to people about Jesus and about what happened and what he did and who he was. That's the first thing. So the Spirit, when the Spirit came, he gave them that boldness, which is one of the hallmark um, attributes of the Holy Spirit, which means if you feel like you need more boldness, you need to ask the Lord for more of the Holy Spirit. You'd be filled more, more with the Holy Spirit if, if that's something that you feel that you're lacking. Notice that 
it said it happened to all of them. So everybody in the upper room said there were 120. So that is not just the apostles. It's not just the leaders. It's not just the old men. It's not just the young men. And it's not just the men at all. It's the women too. Because it, it specifically says that the women were there, Mary was there, Mary the mother of Jesus was there, Jesus' brothers were there. So the Spirit came upon everybody. That was another huge, huge thing. I'm telling you, this verse is huge. That this passage is huge. That was another huge thing. Again, the Holy Spirit falling on servants? That doesn't seem right. Not, not all these maybe were ethnic Jews, like, you know, Luke was Greek. That doesn't seem right. We're super racist. We don't like other people. Right? So we don't feel like the Holy Spirit should fall on them. Women, come on. That's just crazy talk. Everybody knows they're second class. They can't do anything. Okay? But no, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then um, Peter preaches this fantastic sermon after they leave the room where he quotes, of course, Joel chapter 2. This is um, Acts 2.17. You can flip the page again if you need to. Acts 2.17, he quotes a passage from Joel chapter 2. And what are the main points of the passage? I'm going to read it just because it's awesome. Okay. So everybody's thinking that these guys are drunk. They're out there speaking in tongues. They're preaching, and it's 9 a.m., and they're like, how are they drunk at 9 a.m.? Like, that's, that's impressive, actually. Like, what's going on here? And, and Peter says, hey, these people are not drunk. Like, you think they are. It's only the third hour of the day. Like, it's only 9 a.m. Seriously, it's, it's tough to get that, this drunk by then. This is what was uttered through Joel the prophet. And so Peter is saying, thus fulfills the following prophecy. So he is prophesying by saying this prophecy is fulfilled. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions. Your young men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the Lord, the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." great, great prophecy. And so Peter is saying, this is being fulfilled right now, or beginning to be fulfilled right now. That's what you're seeing. The Spirit being poured out on all flesh. All these people who are here now have the Holy Spirit, and they're prophesying, and they're having visions and dreams and all this great stuff. And so the, the, there are two main points of this passage. One is all the charismatic gifts are going on. As the Spirit gets poured out, there's prophecy, vision, dreams, signs, wonders, all this kind of cool stuff miraculous stuff. The other is the fact that this is happening to everybody. Like the Holy Spirit is making it like almost hilariously clear that he's talking everybody here. Okay? Young and old, servants and non-servants, men and women, absolutely stinking everybody has access to what we're talking about here. The baptism of the Spirit, filling of the Spirit, whatever you want to call it. That power that comes on his church to be his witnesses. Everybody has access to that. And then uh, Peter, down in um, verse 39, he's talking, or 38, uh, repent, be baptized, every one of you. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The pro this promise, talking about the promise that Jesus promised that they would receive on Pentecost, which they are displaying right now of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So again, it's making it really clear. This is for everybody, okay? God intends this to be something that everybody experiences. It's supposed to be a part of a normal Christian life. We are all supposed to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're all meant to experience the power of God on us, not just at random times, but maybe all the time. Maybe we ask God to fill us today. Maybe we ask God to fill us tomorrow. Maybe we ask him to work through us tomorrow and to touch the life of someone else, to be a witness for him to somebody else. The more we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, the more it happens. Again, only the 120 that were in the room got, got this when it first came. So this isn't a passive thing. A lot of people talk to me, and they're like, if God wanted this for me, he could do it, I suppose. 
You know, well, that doesn't sound like someone who's seeking or even trying to receive or maybe even willing to receive. But that's not how it works. Believe, be baptized, repent, receive. These are all active words that Peter is talking about in 38 and 39. Active words. You have to repent. God doesn't just punch in the face and you're saved, right? We cooperate with that. God does the work, but we respond, we cooperate, we repent, we receive. And the same is true with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If we want to receive the promise of the Father, which Jesus says we should, then we need to say, do it, Lord. I want it. I want to receive it. And it might take eight days of praying for some people. I know people who have prayed for months before they felt like they really received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's unique in my experience. Um, I also know someone who had to pray for six months before receiving the gift of tongues. She really wanted to speak in tongues, and she prayed about it for six months. And I don't know why it took that long. That's the longest I know of anyone who I've personally met. But God was just trying to teach her something. That was just one of those moments where God was like, I want, I want to, you to prove your faithfulness and just keep praying and keep asking. Um, and that's just part of her testimony now. And so God wants us to cooperate with him in this. He wants us to experience it. Um, and he wants us to be able to pass it on to others to be his witnesses. Anybody have any questions? Comments? It is good stuff. Mostly scripture. <laughs> it's the best way to preach. So first Pentecost is a big deal. That's why in the church calendar we like to celebrate it every year. Um, even pe- pl- churches that don't really believe in the baptism of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit often talk about Pentecost and how cool it was. Wouldn't it be cool if that still happened? You know, I was at a church like that once, and I just I wanted to stand up and shout, "It can receive the Holy Spirit!" Just quote Acts right to them. It is for you and your children and all who are far off. Like, at what point did you disqualify yourself from that group? All that's silliness. Don't do that. Why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to receive power from God to do awesome stuff? That's what Jesus told us we were supposed to do to go to the ends of the earth to be his witnesses. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. I can't do any of those. Any of you do any of those? You can maybe cleanse the leper a little bit, you know? You know. No, we can't do any of those things. We can only do that kind of stuff through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why God gave it to us. And it's not our power, it's the Spirit's power, which is also a good thing because we would mess it up if it was up to us. Yes? It's one of the hardest things to do. It's possible, yeah. And Jesus loved the 380. And I have no doubt they all came back and were all filled with the Spirit. But why weren't they there? I want to be there. I want to be one of the ones who was there, one of the ones who waited, one of the ones who had the faith to wait. Chris? That's number one. We need to model it, not debate it, and we need to do it in love and not in we're better than you. I have, a, I have quite a bit. I mean, almost all, since I was in high school, my whole ministry almost has been to people who weren't filled with the Spirit, who either wanted to or needed to find out about it. So I've done it wrong a lot, and I've done it right, thank God, <laughs> a lot, especially more recently. Um, but 
when, when people perceive you as saying, I have something you don't have, they perceive that as being superior. They perceive you as being prideful. They perceive you as thinking you're better than them or special in some way. And so the first thing that you have to do when talking to anybody is get as humble as possible. You have to counter that with humility. You can't just speak the truth because they're already assuming. You know, I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm just saying like that's the assumption when you you just assume that you think you're better than me. You know, um, and so you have to be just really humble and be like, look, this does not make me a better mean I'm a better person than you. I didn't get this because I deserved it. It was a gift. You know, you, you don't deserve a gift. You don't earn a gift. It was a gift, but it's a gift that I believe we have to ask for, and so I asked for it until I received it. And there are those who will say, all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit in this complete sense. And I would say to them, and I have, okay, if you're filled with the Spirit in the complete sense, then why don't I see all the things that always follow being filled with the Spirit in here? I don't see any supernatural gifts taking place. I don't see healings. I don't see prophecy. I don't see any of these miracles happening. Because every time in Scripture it talks about being filled with the Spirit that it's always accompanied by signs and wonders. And the room shook, Acts 4, 7, the room shook and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and they prophesied. You know, like that's the kind of stuff that happens when people get filled with the Holy Spirit is there are supernatural things happening because it's a supernatural God. And so if someone says, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's no supernatural stuff going on that that, that is evident in Scripture, then I would be like, Maybe there's a little more to get. Maybe you are f- being filled with the Spirit, but you're not full yet, or, or whatever. And you can parse words there, and it gets kind of difficult. Paul says, Ephesians 5, 17 through 21, be continually being filled with the Spirit. So this is not a one-time thing. It's not like our water baptism that's a one-time event. I mean, it, it is that a lot of people say, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit April 1st, 1974, you know? And it's like, praise God. But like, that doesn't mean you don't keep asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, Ephesians 5, 17 through 21, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is a, it's an everyday thing. It's a constant thing. Um, we are leaky people. We leak. Okay? Sometimes we put holes in ourselves and leak more. But, like, we are distracted. We, 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 we still we are prone to sin. Our eyes are prone to wander. We tend not to have the kind of faith we want to have sometimes. So we, we're very leaky when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so we need to ask God to just keep blowing into us, keep filling us, keep filling us, keep filling us. Um, and that's a humility thing. That's a humility thing. Part of the challenge with uh, today is people know or they've heard about uh, the Holy Spirit and those things. And they, and when they were waiting, 120 were waiting, all they do is we're, we're waiting on the promise of the Father. Right. And they've, they've predetermined they don't want anything to do with that. Yep. Which is another issue with, with Holy Spirit stuff, especially in the prophetic, is that some people are weird. Like some humans are weird. And if there's a weird human who also happens to be really anointed in something of the Holy Spirit and then gets up on stage and does stuff, everybody sees that and goes, oh, now I connect the prophetic to this weird person or acting weird or being weird. And that's just silly. Just like you wouldn't connect the prophetic, the, the Pentecost to black people because Azusa Street and the Pentecostal revival was primarily African-Americans. And so, I mean, that would be silly, right, for us to think, oh, the Holy Spirit only goes on black people. No, they were just the ones waiting in 1911. And so, um, yeah, that... that that does happen. And so we got to be careful that we don't look at the weird stuff and say, oh, because that person is weird or they're doing weird things, maybe they were just taught that this is how you do it, and you do it, and it's weird. And that was a silly way for them to be taught. But we're all kids, and when kids teach kids stuff, sometimes it ends up being silly. Uh, Sarah's family has a great story of, I think it's, is it you and Becca? Becca wants Beckist or something like that, and the sister goes, no, it's Bequist. Bequist. Well, she told her wrong. She was trying to correct her and trying to teach her, but she was still wrong. It's not Beckquist. It's breakfast, right? Breakfast is the word, not Beckquist. 
Um, and so when it comes to the prophetic and a lot of this stuff, we're kids teaching kids here. Okay, so let's not judge too much, and this is, I'm talking to myself here too, because as a teacher, I judge other teachers when they screw it up. Um, and there's been a lot of screwing up when it comes to Pentecostal charismatic stuff, and especially in how that's being taught and how that's being modeled from the front. I think it's often done very poorly, and I think that's to our detriment. And so because of that, a lot of people look at that and say, oh, freak show, no thank you. Meanwhile, they might be missing out on an incredible healing that God wants to bring to their heart or to their body or to their mom or whatever it is. And that's just so sad that people would rip out a bunch of pages of this book because they see something they don't like and they decide they don't want to be a part of that because they don't want to be a weirdo. Yes. And I just went, praise God. It wasn't something that I tried to do in my life or seek or you need to or anything, but the Holy Spirit just did that. Yeah, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we are open and we are asking God to fill us, baptize me again, fill me again with the Holy Spirit, crazy stuff like that can happen. And it is just, it's fun. It's a much more fun way to live your life. Paul compares being filled with the Spirit to being drunk. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, which is what people thought there on Pentecost, too. They must be drunk. Well, why? What about people being filled with the Spirit makes people automatically think they've been drinking wine, right? Well, what does wine do? It tends to make you peaceful, joyful, bold, uh, willing to act maybe on instinct instead of reason. I'm not talking about being drunk here. I'm talking about for normal folks, the average folks. And that's true with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have joy. We have peace. We are bolder. That's the first thing they did is they left the room. And so that's the, that's the real is the Holy Spirit versus the drunkenness of the flesh. Um, and so if you're lacking any of those, if you're lacking joy, if you're lacking peace, if you're lacking boldness, if you're lacking an ability to follow the Spirit instead of following your own reason, then maybe you need to be a little more drunk on the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need a little more filling of him. You need to lay some of yourself aside so that there's room in here to pour more of God in. Does that make sense? So humility is just such a huge, huge factor here. The more that's already in here that you can lay down, the more room you've got to hold more. That just makes sense container-wise, right?
Right, and for some people, fear. If they've seen a lot of weird stuff, whether it's genuinely weird and, or genuinely bad or just they don't like it, it's a little fear. Uh, if I give my life to God in that sense, he might make me a weirdo. I don't want to be a weirdo. I like being me, you know, which is obviously pride and self-centeredness and all that kind of stuff. We know that. We've all been there. Uh, but for some people, that's what it is too. But humility is the answer for just about all of this. <laughs> The more we humble ourselves and just say, Lord, whatever you want to do, filming, just you come in here and run the show instead of me doing it, and it's just going to be way awesome. So let's pray for that uh, and then spend some time in fellowship. Why don't, we, why don't we stand, and can we do a Paul Anderson thing and all like put hands on each other's shoulders? Is that cool? We often see the Holy Spirit coming through the laying on of hands. Not always. It didn't happen that way at Pentecost. It didn't happen that way with the first non-Jews to be filled with the Spirit. But often, the filling of the Spirit is accompanied or, or happens through the laying on of hands. So let's put our hands on each other. Just kind of put a hand on the shoulder of a person next to you or two. And I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And then I'd like all of us to just pray out loud for ourselves and for the people next to us.